listening to 207 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. For this episode, we're going to chat a little bit about crime in New York, the deeper issues associated with the slap at the Oscars, and the pressing issue of student loans. I'll be right back. So good evening, one and all. Welcome to another episode of 247 Real Talk Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with you again to share my perspectives. It's a pleasure, uh, an honor to be able to speak with you and uh, to continue the conversation, the real conversation, the real talk about real issues, real things going on around us. Not not the, the fluff, but the, the things that you and I are encountering every day and people we know are encountering and people we can't reach that are encountering and important conversations that need to happen behind all the other noise that's going on that's 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 really not impactful in real life but it's more of a mirage so that it could seem like people are having conversations but they're not so with this episode um the first segment i'm going to talk about crime and i'm going to stick specifically to crime in new york because i am in new york um for those of you who are around the world or around the united states who are not in new york um, you might not be experiencing this yourself, or you may be experiencing it in a different form, or just for just to be informed and up in touch with what's going on. Um, I, I think you will be able to relate to this this segment in one way or the other. So I, I you know, I get up at four a.m. and I take the long on the railroad into work, and um, on the way in, I you know, much of the trip is above ground. And so I put my headphones on and I listen to 1010 Wins. That's become my, my news info channel, so to speak. And it's a bit of entertainment in between because they have a variety of uh, topics. But I do so via the Odyssey app on my iPhone, which allows you to pop in different radio stations you want to listen to. And you, know, you can add your favorites and all these sort of things. You should get it. It's pretty good. But what it also allows me to do is get breaking news from my favorite station. So I get breaking news from 1010 Winds. And at first I was ignoring it, but then I would see these things pop up on my phone and I realized that what we hear in the news, what we see in the 10 o'clock and the 11 o'clock news that are what they call breaking news, that news doesn't cover half of what's going on every single day. Uh, excuse me if you hear me clear my throat. I have a bit of a allergy thing going on tonight. Anyway, so... To have this conversation, I wanted to start, you know, people say, what are you talking about? I've heard this or I heard that, but, you know, I want to read through. And I say read through, just giving you the, the, the headline. And I won't read all of them because, you know, there's a lot of things in there about uh, with the 1010 Winds app about Russia and Ukraine and all that. And that's sort of um, too much for this story. But I want to read to you in between all those headlines the ones that are relevant to New York and crime. And I want to start at just yesterday. So all I'm reading for you 
are the headlines from yesterday and today. So let's go. First relevant headline started at 7.43, the first one I got um, yesterday. Customer critically injured in a violent robbery at McDonald's near Penn Station. 8.07 a.m., men slashed each other in melee aboard Lower Manhattan subway train. 9.33 a.m., car sought in fatal stabbing of man 43 after Bronx collision. 9.58 a.m., thief pummels subway rider at Bryant Park Station, goes on shopping spree with stolen credit card. 10.20 a.m., man stabbed at UWS subway station off Central Park. 11 a.m., Queens Pawn Shop owner, 60, struck in head multiple times. 11.60 a.m., six suspects sought after teen boy robbed at knife point on Brooklyn Street. 11.41 a.m., man, 31, critically injured in Queens hit and run. 11.50 a.m., woman, 23, sexually assaulted at Brooklyn subway station. 1 p.m., homeless man pepper sprayed during subway arrest after swinging wire at offices. Uh, 3.16 p.m., man, 19, shot in neck in Little Italy, no arrests. 4.20 p.m., man 42 punched in face in unprovoked attack at Bronx subway platform. Uh, 7.35 p.m., Queens pizzeria owner dad stabbed multiple times while intervening robbery. 10 p.m., MTA subway vandalized with graphic images of lynching. And so we got past, that's, that's yesterday. So now we're into today. 7.29 a.m., woman shatters taxi window with cinder block in Hell's Kitchen, smash and grab. 8.02 a.m., shoplifter tries to stab guard with hypodermic needle at Manhattan Dwayne Reed. 9.05 a.m., man 46 stabbed across face in Penn Station after drug deal. 9.25 a.m., man 40 slashed during dispute aboard Har- Har- Harlem subway train. 10.40 a.m., woman arrested for slashing victim twice in face ab- aboard Brooklyn D train. 12 p.m., woman shot, woman 29 shot in leg inside building in Harlem. 12.56 p.m., three porch pirates busted after a car full of stolen packages in New Jersey. At 1.55 p.m., driver 26 surrenders to police after long on a hit and run, critically injures 20-year-old. 3.05 p.m., man 35 arrested for repeatedly shooting man outside Midtown Hotel. 
4.05 p.m., man shot in chest during possible road rage incident on Long Island Expressway. And I think there's a lot of other things in between there with sentencings and stuff like that. But, you know, that is, that is, that, that, and I'm sure that's not all. But after listening to that list, you were probably listening for a while and then you probably got uh, almost, you probably almost went into a daze listening to what I'm saying to you. And, and not what I'm, what the headlines I'm reading to you, that's just from yesterday and today. And just the ones that 1010 wins got, uh, people reporting the 1010 wins. And this is every single day in New York. Now, you might want to say, you know, there are millions of people in New York, so that represents a small number. What it actually does represent is how unsafe New York is. The fact of the matter is, there are many crimes that don't get reported, there are many people who get mugged that pick themselves up off the ground and go home and don't call the police because it has become almost like, what's the point? I know we live in a big city and this is not, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. I am not having this conversation to blame any official. I'm having this conversation with you because this is a human problem. And it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but I, my personal feeling is that once we emerged from, and I'm using the word emerged lightly, but once we went to a new state of return from the COVID, from the pandemic, from the lockdown, everything else, people seem to go crazy. They, it seems like during that quarantine, some, a lot of people went through psychological issues. Psychological issues that were that are, are 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 maybe clearly medically defined, and other ones that just happen in human nature, the processes that people go through. You know, we had a lot of people quarantined who were living with abusers. We had we had a lot of different things that went on, and we don't even we, I don't think we have a clear understanding of of how we've emerged as yet. But we've emerged worse than when we went in because I don't recall the things that I'm hearing now. Before we went in, and yes, they happened, but it seems like the, they've, they've, you know, the, the, the they've, they've increased exponentially. It seems like I know that there's a lot of effort by our mayor and the police officers. They've got more cops on the subways and everything else, and yet these things seem to be happening in record numbers, higher than before the pandemic. This is not a problem that we can give ownership to our officials to solve alone. This is a we the people problem. You know, I, I'm always one who is very tough on officials because I feel that we elect them and it's their problem. Just like I have a job and I have, it's my problem and my responsibility to do my job. It's theirs to do, do theirs. But, but in, in this kind of situation, it's our problem. We can't put this alone on a, on a, on a police force of finite number of people and a finite number of officials to solve a problem of crime of, of, of what, 8 million people or 11 million, whatever they are, you know, counted or uncounted. Um, in, in New York and expect them to solve it when this is the behavior of the people. It seems like things have gone crazy, that things have gone out of control. And whenever, you know, you know sometimes these, these, these 
kind of be, this kind of behavior, these kind of actions call for, you know, drastic actions call for drastic measures. And I know that there's been a lot of controversy in New York with stop and frisk and, 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 and because black and brown people have faced the wrath of others, the prejudice of others, including police officers, the bad ones. And again, I will repeat this on every single show. I, I know a lot of police officers. I know a lot of great police officers. I know a lot of police officers who put their lives in the lines when they go out there every single day. And I've spoken with them and I meet them and I know them and I chat them and they're great people. But in every bucket of people, you have people who, who, who don't do quite the right thing. But I think that a lot of people in society have taken the plight of those who have actually experienced uh, the racism or the or the or, or the, the police overreach or the or or, you know, or whatever, and made it like it's their problem, like they personally experienced it, and that only brings value if they use that feeling for the for for, for the betterment of society. Not to act out just because you can use it as an excuse to act out. What is the deal with every single day there's somebody getting slashed and knifed in the subway? When did it happen that we can't even speak to each other as human beings without someone getting so upset that they want to lash out? It is going to be impossible for our children, our children's children to, to exist and, and, and be, be alive in a society where they have to live in fear. And if you think that this is just New York alone, no. I'm speaking about New York because I live in New York, but I'm sure there's, there's someone else just like me in, in Chicago, in Detroit, and all these other cities probably, ha- probably uh, reading off a list of of. of, of Crimes that is 10 times as long as the one I read to you. We are degrading as human beings. We the ones who are or have, who have been the subject of a battle fought to get recognition, to stand alongside others, you know, black, brown, white, whatever creed and color, to stand equally with them. It is from within us that our destruction is, 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 a battle. You have a few people at the top and around trying to lift a whole culture and, and ethnicity. And within the belly of that, you have people, I'm not saying that they haven't gone through things. You know, I can think of a couple of my, my, my staunch supporters right now that would take you know, exception to what I'm saying because, you know, sometimes I say something about black and brown people and they say, well, oh, well, white people do that too. But you know what? White people are not living the lives we've lived in the history that we've lived. And whenever you look at these crimes, the reality is whether or not you want to say the same crimes are committed by white people but they don't get caught, well, you got to show me the evidence of that. What I'm seeing in front of me is that it, this is coming from within the belly of the black and brown communities. Yes, for many reasons. The lack of education, the lack of resources, the lack of a two-parent household, the lack of, 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 of a mentor, the lack of a, of, a, of a father figure, a mother figure to, to guidance, the, someone who to carry you now, someone to, to, to snatch them out of the... the, the the, the the path towards crime at the right time before they get to the point where there's no return. I get it. But what is that conversation bringing us? I'm not talking about what needs to be done 
all the time. Sometimes I'm talking about the reality of what is. And as I've been doing this podcast and doing it long enough, I recognize that the reality of what that is is quite different than from the reality of what needs to be done. And I've understood that many, many, many people who have the power to make change don't care about the reality of what is. There's a lot of selfishness even in people who have the opportunity and the power to help to effect some level of change. There's monetary greed. There's the, there's the snatch of power. There's the feeling of, of superiority when they've accomplished something that they, on their own, didn't quite do. They were, you know, we have officials who were elected by people, people who, who get to make decisions with other people's lives, but they weren't, you know, they weren't knighted in this role. They, they were, they're there because they, they maybe won the hearts of people or they, or they made promises that the, the people, voters believe in. But we seem to be fighting a battle where no matter what position you're in, our politicians and all these people, many of them who have good intentions can't win. And I'm going to tell you, before I move on from this topic, I'm going to tell you, the hardest thing I keep seeing is, and you know, it may be par for the course, but it's not, it's not working for human life. No matter what, you know, we have some good officials who are trying to affect change. And no matter what they do, someone objects. And some of the objections are valid. But then we come to a stalemate. And I think the stalemate is, more, is, is, is less about officials wanting to compromise and more about if they do, then the rest of the people see them as weak if they make a mistake and say, you know what, I made this decision, but in hindsight, I think it's a mistake. Sometimes they need to be allowed to do that. We cannot elect people and decide that they have to be perfect when we are not. Officials that we elect, you know, they, they surround themselves with, 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 with hopefully with brilliant people and they brainstorm, they come up with ideas that hopefully are better for, for, the, for their constituents, for, the, for the, the areas that they govern, and then they bring them out there and, and, and sometimes they can be wrong. And that group of officials has to be willing to go back and brainstorm and look at what people have said and come back and say, we have to make a change because we were wrong. We're trying to do better. Or we made a, we made an error on this. You know, based on the information we had, we made our best decision, but we're realizing it's not getting the best result. And the people who are us, the public who are being governed, have to be human enough to understand that, and to understand that mistakes are, you know, whether or not we like them or not, they're part of human life, and we can't be so critical on our officials that they're so scared for their political careers and their lives and, and everything else to make decisions and come out and say, I made an error. It doesn't mean that when you elect me in the position that I become perfect overnight or ever for the duration of that position. But on the flip side, it also means that the people we elect need to listen to us. I say this from the President of the United States down. And before I get to that third and final segment, I'm gonna I'm gonna start my I'm gonna roll right into my second topic here. And that is the resounding slap 
at the Oscars. Now, I'm not interested in having this conversation from the perspective of he say, she say, or a celebrity perspective. I'm having this conversation from the perspective of what this really, you know, we have to look at the deeper issues here. And I see, you know, on the top, I see two major things that I must speak on. The first one is when, when it first happens, my wife said, oh, that has to be staged. There is no way that, that, that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at, at the Oscars. And I disagreed with her, and she, she was convinced it was staged. I think she believes otherwise now. But here's the thing. Embedded in that, that action is something so much deeper on different levels. And I'm going to try to touch a few of them really quick. One of them is, you know, celebrities grew up with a lot of pressure. Will Smith, Prince of Bel-Air, um, he was a rapper. At one point, I think he was the highest paid movie star. And then he's got a relationship and a marriage that is always in the news different things, and I'm not going to be judge or jury, and so no, I'm not going to get into specifics, but different things we've seen in the news about his children, about his relationship with his wife, the whole entanglement debacle, what was it, last year? The rumors about open marriage or, you know, different levels of infidelity during the marriage. And I looked at them last, uh, not last night, but the night after, you know, uh, uh, the replays of what happened. And the first thing I recognized was that slap had nothing to do with Chris Rock. Chris Rock is a comedian, one that I watch every time I see a stand-up special because I think he's funny. And he and Dave Chappelle, who I also watch, are cutting-edge comedians, I call them. And if you're going to go to see a comedian like that, you got to understand that you might be in the audience and you might get picked on. Granted, Will didn't go to see him. Will was there at, you know, for the Oscars and, and he ultimately won his first Oscar, I believe. But I don't think it matters what joke Chris made. I think the travesty here is, and this is my personal opinion, that looking at how this relationship with Will and Jada has played out in the public eye, that this, 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 this love that they talk about is some, some entity entangled in what seems to be like psychological warfare between the two of them. This is a man who, and, and this is where we get to the deeper issue of what happened that night and how much it, of a setback it can be to minorities, to black and brown people. I mean, think about it for a second. The man wins his first Oscar. He's at the, let's start with he's at the Oscars. He's somewhere that we crawled and fought and took slaps in our faces and took spitting in our faces and took 
every single door being closed in our face. He's talking about the, I'm talking about the Cicely Tysons and the Sidney Poitiers and the, even, even in newer times, the Denzels and the Halle Berrys, all the people who, who put on amazing performances and amazing movies and, and got, got snubbed for the color of their skin and got not recognized for the brilliance of their action and they, and they pushed and they kept going. And I, and I know I've left out many years of many names of many black actors, but there's been a lot of work and a lot of standing tall and a lot of you know a lot of swallowing and 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 and, and anger and keeping going together to the point where we can sit at the Oscars and be represented side by side with the dominant race of these events. Basically, I'm saying is nobody can deny it. And again, I'm not talking about a prejudice because I'm not I'm, I'm not prejudiced. I'm I'm a realist. That's why this is real talk. These, this is an event that black people who have the same talent, are better talent than some of their white counterparts, could not be even recognized or, 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 or considered years ago. And here he is at the night that one of the biggest moments of his career. Again, this is a kid who started off as a rapper. And he gets, he's, he's filthy rich. And in the brain of a man that we thought so differently of, he couldn't stand his ground, wait for after the Oscars and one of the many talk shows or whatever he'd be on to speak on Chris Rock's joke, if that's what it was about. And we know it just wasn't. He had the most the finding moment that people are, you know, nobody's talking about the Oscars and how many, how many, you know, I mean, when I say nobody, there's, there's mentions of people who, 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 who won awards, but it, the, the conversation keeps coming back to the slap. To me, this man, Will Smith needs to bow to the knees of Cicely Tyson and Sidney Poitier and, and Halle and Denzel and all those who have, who've, who've, who've been in this struggle. And apologize and, 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 and should be, it's a shameful act of someone who should have stepped above to have the integrity. Yes, his wife has a condition. Apparently, Chris didn't know about the condition, but it doesn't matter. That was not the way to react and behave. And I'm sorry when I first thought about it. You know, I've listened to some female celebrities who've come out and said, you know, Kudos to, to Will for defending his wife. That's not defending your wife. To me, that's behaving in a man that's unbecoming. Unbecoming of one who, was, who is walking in the footsteps of others who have who've, 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 who've bore the brunt of, of the brutality of trying to become equal ethnicity with others to pave the way so you have the, the, the opportunity and the honor to walk in those same steps to accept an Oscar. Not to mention, because he's had such a long career, and I'll tell you this, when the Prince of Bel-Air comes on, at my age, I am able to, 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 to recite the opening. You know, everybody knows in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playgrounds where I spent all of my days. That, I can say it word for word verbatim. That's how many episodes I want so that I know it in the back of my head. 
So how many more kids do you think and people, black people, minorities who have seen him and in some way or form idolized his career and thus idolized him? What message was sent to those people? That if they ever get the same opportunity and become that rich, that it's okay to use violence against someone that you disagree with because they verbally said something. And again, I'm talking about the actual act here, not the cause of the act, because I'll say it again. I don't think this had anything to do with Chris Rock. When I watch the whole entanglement thing and I watch their behavior each other, I think there's a toxicity that lives in that relationship. And like I said, there is a there is a, 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 an underlying narcissism, something that lives in those relation, that relationship between the two of them that, that makes it seem real in, on the surface. And maybe they've gotten to the point where they even believe that that is, a, is their true image of love, but it's not. I'm not saying it is because I'm an expert. I'm saying because a man defends his woman in many ways, verbally, and there's many other ways to do it. When, when someone tries to violently or physically attack your wife or your woman, that's when you defend physically. If that is the only option to keep them safe. But again, to walk up on stage, 20, 30 million people watching you around the world, plus those in the, in, in the presence of the moment, and you slap this grown man. And then you get back to your seat and you sit there and you start hurling expletives at him on the stage while everybody else looks on at you. Do you think they're looking at you and saying, oh, yes, Will Smith is the great Will? No. I would guarantee the majority of them are looking at him and says, how could he behave this way in general, much less at this event, which in, for him personally is, is historic. We cannot teach our children. We cannot teach young people. We can't teach anyone. After all the stuff that we have done as black people, struggling against any kind of violent act, because we've been the recipient of so many violent acts, we cannot condone this irrespective of what he was feeling at the moment. This is, this is, this, you know, as a man, and another man steps to you and he's threatening violence. We as minorities have the, this inherent need to immediately respond with violence as our first effort, rather than try to, to, to diffuse the situation with the intelligence and the brilliant thinking that we own but never use or rarely use in those situations. And you have to understand what I'm saying to you. If you've, if you've looked at the, over the last two years, how many rappers in the rap industry have been shot and killed? Some people don't want to hear this because they're so embedded in the, in the, in the black and the brown struggle that they have a, a band-aid for every sore. 
But while you're in the struggle and looking to make a difference, you also have to recognize your role in it and recognize when you have crossed the line from being part of the solution to part of the problem. There's got to be millions of people, millions of people, boys and girls of, you know, of, of every ethnicity, of every race, creed, and color that idolize Will Smith. Many of them may be sitting out there tonight because they don't understand the history, because their minds are not mature enough, and they may be clapping at what he did. And let's not forget that we had a black A-lister comedian hosting the Oscars. Another step that, that was fought for for many years so that it went beyond white people only, only hosting the Oscars and black people and brown people got a chance to stand in that role. So what Will Smith did didn't just destroy or damage his own legacy. But they took the, the symbolism of Chris Rock, a black comedian standing there hosting the Oscars and violated that position and the pains and the, and the, and the struggle that, that, that many faced so that Chris Rock could stand there that night. It disgusts me. And I don't care. And again, for, for many of my supporters who I know will come and have this conversation with me the day after this or the same day when this episode airs, I don't care that other races, let's be clear. I don't care that white people can do the same thing and no one says anything. White people are not in the same struggle that we are. We can't want to get to the top but behave like we're at the bottom. And we can't make excuses whenever we do things that are inexcusable and say, oh, well, you know, white person, they, they get away with it. Well, they maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't care. I'm not responsible for them. I'm not part of the argument for them and their behavior when, if they behave like that. And if it, was a, if it was someone else who did it, the white person, I would be just as outraged at what they have done at an event that has become inclusive of all races. But we need to be real about this. I remember last week twice traveling to Long Island Railroad, coming home from, from uh, towards Long Island, you know, and there were two occasions where there were two black people in our car who behaved atrociously. One was a young woman who received a phone call from someone and she chose the, the to, you know, and I don't want, I don't know what this power is we feel about behaving like we're in the ghetto and being oblivious to the people around us. She screamed at the top of her voice for about 50 minutes of my peaceful ride home, hurling every expletive at the other person on the phone. And somehow she felt that that was acceptable behavior. And I'm sitting in a, in a, in a, on, a, on a Long Island Railroad train car that's predominantly white. And here is this black woman sitting there and there's probably only other two other black people in that car. And I'm looking at her as she goes on. I am number one actually scared to look at her because she will probably take off on me. It's a mentality thing. And at the same time, I'm saying, 
How are the rest of the people in this car supposed to separate who I am from who she is? If you were sitting in the shoes of the white person on that car and you saw her behavior like that and then you looked across and saw me, what would make you think, yeah, I may be dressed in a suit or whatever, but it's winter, I have on a coat, they may or may not be able to tell, but what would make them think for any moment that they should look at me and have a different perspective of me than this woman sitting six feet away from me behaving in the most atrocious, disrespectful, vulgar manner. And then there was another afternoon where a guy came walking through the cars. He stopped in my car for whatever reason. He was rapping to himself. So he, had, he looked like he may have had some psychological or mental issues, but he was rapping to himself. The lyrics that were the most vulgar lyrics, his pants halfway down, talking about stuff like, like with, that had to do in a rap song about guns and kept sticking his hand in his waist. And you could almost see and feel the fear of the rest of the people in the car because it's not the first time there's been a shooting. You know, there have been shootings before on the railroad. But you are, you are on a train. You have nowhere to run. And I heard somebody, when he finally left and went to the next car, I heard somebody say behind me, oh, he must have been off his meds. But I knew what they were thinking. And then I get up to, to go stand at the door for my stop and I can feel everyone in the car looking at me. It was almost like they, 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 the programming said, oh, I wonder if he's going to behave the same way. And I have worked too hard for myself. I have worked too hard absorb, absorbing the teachings of my parents who were incredibly decent people. I've worked too hard to pass on the teachings of dignity, respect, honor to my children. I've worked too hard in my job to command the respect of my peers and to elevate myself to the position I'm in, to stand in a railroad car and be judged because those of my creed, those of my color, behave in such a manner. That is, that is, that is un completely unacceptable. And then we'll join crowds and march and protest because they want to be treated the same and looked at the same. Again, I know I'm going to bump heads with a few of my listeners because we've gone through so much as a race and minorities have gone through so much that sometimes we're blinded by the struggle to see that each moment is important. And if we want to stand side by side with all those in the world talking about equality in every aspect of our lives, then we have to live a life and behave in a manner that also earns us a space in that line. I'm going to close my episode with this, and this is my third topic of the, of the episode. It's a, it's, I'm digressing completely from the, the, the second segment, and I'm, I'm sort of doing the Wusa thing. There's not much more I can say about the Will Smith thing. I'm sure I have probably mentioned it in another episode, but right now, I think even myself, I'm still processing the effects of 
and, and the long-term effect and the residual effects of that behavior will have. But I don't want to leave it tonight without talking about one of the things that I've mentioned so many times on that student loans. And I'm going to pause there and I'm going to ask you again. I've been looking at the numbers of the show and they're really good, but I need more of you. I'm going to plead with you to spread, to share these episodes. Share it with your family. Share it on your social media, your TikTok, your Instagram, your Facebook, wherever it fits. I'm asking you this not for any monetary reason. I'm asking you this because the message must get out. I am on a writing campaign now to, to, to Chuck Schumer of New York and all the other, because all the other political representatives, because somebody needs to hear us. Inflation is crazy. Gas prices are crazy. The majority of people who have returned to their jobs have not gotten a raise in forever. The prices of every single thing have gone up. And on May 1st, student loans, the moratorium is over. I know it's been postponed probably twice or three times. I'm not sure. And it, it needs to be postponed again just to give politicians enough time to make the, the humane decision to wipe out student loans. I've, I've, I've already made my point so many times in my episodes about the degrees that people receive that are not worth the paper they're printed on, that the schools should be the one held, holding the note and they should only be given the money by the federal government for, edu- for the education of that student after they've worked not only to place that student but to ensure the education they received is worthy of the federal government's money. But we've lost a lot of that time already and we, the federal government has spent a lot of money and a lot of t- schools have become rich while their graduates struggle to survive. How can you be sending, I think today it was another 400 or something million or 1 billion or whatever, how can you be printing and sending that level of money to Ukraine, which is okay, but you can't fix your humanitarian crisis at home. Why is it okay to send a billion dollars to someone in Ukraine, somewhere across the world, who, many of whom are our allies, but many of whom have never spent one second of one day contributing to the United States of America and its economy and its country and the lives of others in this country? But you feel it is okay to print a billion dollars and send it to Ukraine to help people who you say are in need, but you're going to get into Congress and you're going to fight about the reasons why you should not do it for your people at home. The destruction comes in many ways, shapes and forms. And when this, when this moratorium is over and people can't find the monies to pay these student loans, they don't have the jobs that have allowed them to, to live a decent life and still pay student loans. Many of them have lost their breadwinners to COVID. President Biden promised to make a difference in student loans. Sir, you have not done close enough. I don't know what your executive powers allow you. And I know you're distracted with Ukraine and, and COVID. But if you don't do and stand up for the lives of people in the United States, then who are we expecting to do it? How can you stand on public stage and talk about the people in Ukraine being troubled because of what Putin is doing and the people in the United States, we agree with you. 
We're collecting food and supplies and all these things to send to those people because we have a heart and you, our administration, our elected officials, you, Mr. President, don't have a heart for us. Stop thinking about re-election first. In years to come, in your legacy, it's going to be, your, your, your legacy is going to be less about whether you got re-elected and more about what you did for the people in the country that you were elected to lead. Be the president who does what President Obama did with health care. Be the president who, who defies odds, who stands against those who stand against him and stand strong to make a decision that will impact the lives of, I think they said, 43 million American people who, one level or the other, are struggling with student loans and can't get a job that allows them to buy a home and live a life and still pay their student loans. It is unfair to tell someone that you have to pay back student loans for 30 years and so you won't be able to buy a home, you won't be able to take care of your kids properly, you won't be able to live the American dream for 30 years until you, you pay back the federal government, the same federal government in the country that, that you will contribute to for the next 30 years, doing your best part of you or giving your best part of you to make America better. You know, part of me thinks that while I speak to our president, there's going to be a Republican politician who is going to do what it takes to make student loans disappear. And that is going to be the death of the Democratic Party. Simply because so many, 43 million people will ultimately look at who made their lives better and who cared enough. Don't get me wrong. We still have the issue of homelessness and poverty. And none of that's being addressed in an effective manner either. Not effective enough that it's trickling down to the people who need it. but it starts with the ability to earn a living. And I can't go to college and have $100,000 in student loans. I can't get a job for more than $60,000 and try to, to, to own a piece of property of the American dream or something or even pay the rents that you're paying, especially in New York, and can't afford to pay the student loans, so now you're going to garnish my check the same country that's, that, that I work to make great is destroying the people who are working to be a better part of society. Human beings can't come together and unite to save human lives, to add decency to human lives to give human beings a chance at just living. It is unacceptable that this continues to be an, uh, 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 an issue in this day and age 
So, Mr. President, the next time you print some money, print enough that you can pay off the loans of, this, of the American people who are struggling. Print enough that people will look to you and say, you've made a difference in my life that has changed my life in a way that I needed. Not in the way that you saw fit, but in the way that, the, that, that we need so that we can live. So we have another chance to move forward, to have a family, to put food on our tables, to pay all the bills, to once in a while take our kids to, to the movies, to laugh and smile in, in a genuine way and not in a way that our children can look at our faces and see that our, our smiles are fake. Because behind the smiles lies the struggle that's written upon our faces. We need people who lead us, who care about us, who understand that the plan of student loans and the whole thing was a failed exercise because the only person that was held accountable was the student. The universities were left to run amok to take advantage of the people. Many of them don't exist anymore. Many of them were found to be fraudulent. In, a, in, in some of those cases, I believe that um, they were allowed, the, 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 the loans were wiped out. But what does that tell you about the system? What does that tell you about what you're doing to people? What does that tell you about a system that you, 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 you convince people is the right path to the American dream only to have it to be the destruction of their lives. Have you ever spoken to young people these days and asked them about their future? And as soon as you ask them about their future and you mention college, even before you mention it, they'll tell you, I'm not going to college. And you say, but you must go to college. That's the place where you not only learn academically, but it's the place that matures you and prepares you for life. And the one answer they come back with, that no matter what you do, you can't win, is they say, I don't want any student loans. And there's not much of an argument that you can put against that when they say it, because the proof is in what exists. And what exists says that you're going to be burdened because, you know, most people are. So you're likely to be in the percentage, the percentage of people who are burdened with these student loans who will be the victims of our own federal government that will say to you, I'm sorry, but we don't care. Too bad. And now figure it out yourself while the rest of your life is destroyed. So to all those who hear my voice today, again, join the cause. It's easy to turn the blind, the blind eye if most of your life is okay. It's easy to get distracted by your struggle that you don't care about the struggles of others. But the, the same struggle of others will become the struggle right at your front door. 
So if you want to make a difference, this is the way. Join, stand, be heard, and make a difference. God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Your will, not ours, be done. special thank you to all my listeners out there for your continued support for giving me the honor and privilege of having conversations with you of sharing my perspective of, of, of engaging you in a part of our lives in something that we must do to preserve the time and to make good of the time that we have here on this earth it is my continued belief that making a difference and making lives better Doing for others and giving to others is the price we have to pay for occupying a space on this planet. Thank you so much again for being the great supporters you are of the 247 Real Talk podcast. For all of you who want to listen to this episode or any episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to start a conversation, if you'd like to know how to be a part of change, if you'd like to discuss joining the movement of change, send me a message at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, please watch yourselves, watch your back. Watch the back of others be selfless in in a purposeful way and take care of yourselves and each other.